Easter Sunday is April the 12th. Seems weird that it's already that quick, but it is upon us. We are in the middle of Lent season right now. Uh, Easter, as you know, is the Super Bowl of Sundays for American churches. Now, whether that should be the case or not doesn't really matter. That's the case that it is. Statistically, people are more open. Huh? Is it 21st or 12th? The 12th. 12th. It's the 12th. Did Does it? Well, it Does it? Yeah. So it is the 12th. It is the 12th, yeah. Yeah. April the 12th. Um, people are more likely to accept invitations on that day. Uh, and in, as a general rule, churches are have larger attendances on that day than any other day, even if you don't do anything. Don't try to reach out. Don't try to invite. More people will just wake up on that morning and decide to go to church. They will typically any other Sunday of the year. And we want to take advantage of that. I mean, we want to do what we can to help people. Um, our, our goal in this isn't necessarily just to have a big number. I mean, I'm praying... For there to be a large number in our service that day. But not so that we can look at it and say, look how many people we have in church. Right? To kind of brag about that. The numbers represent people. The people represent souls. Precious souls who will spend eternity somewhere. Right? And so we want a large number here. Because we want to give a lot of people the opportunity to gather here with us. To sing songs of worship to God. To hear the gospel proclaimed. To be given an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And call on Jesus to save them. And and that's always the goal. Anytime we talk about inviting people. We have a, a big Sunday or something like that. It is always for the sake of seeing souls saved. Of seeing prodigals restored. Seeing broken hearts healed. Spiritually blind eyes Open, seeing those who are spiritually dead being raised to new life in Christ and helping believers come to know, or not come to know Jesus, but become more and more like Jesus. That that is always our goal. That's why when we talk about inviting, we don't invite people from other churches. Our goal isn't to try to invite the people from the First Baptist Church to come here on that Sunday instead. Michael does a great job preaching the gospel, and if they are active and involved, First Baptist Church, we want to leave them alone. There are plenty of people in Guyman, Oklahoma, who are either just out and out lost, who are prodigals who have backslidden in their relationship with Christ, or are people who would profess faith in Jesus but don't attend church anywhere ever in their lives. Right? And so those are the people we want to focus on. Those are the people we want to try to bring in on that Sunday. And so what we're going to do tonight. Is I'm going to give us. Uh, three three truths. About unbelievers. About those who see no need for Jesus. To remind us of why this is so important. Why we want to take advantage of this day. Why we want to join God. And what he's doing. In, in bringing people into his kingdom. Then we'll take time and pray about that. And then there are some very specific ways to pray leading up for the Easter service that we'll talk about. Then we'll pray again and we'll be dismissed. The first reason we want to take part in this and pray and uh, do all we can to invite is every unbeliever 
is under the wrath of God. Right? The Gospel of John, Jesus says first, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John, summing up John chapter 3, that chapter says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, none of what we'll talk about tonight is going to be new information, but it's familiar stuff that we can become accustomed to that we need to keep on the forefront of our minds. And part of what we need to keep on the forefront of our minds is unbelievers are condemned. Right? Those who believe, Jesus says, have everlasting life. Those who do not believe do not have life. They will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. Now, I've always not been fascinated. I don't know if that's the right word. But what has always stood out is that the wrath of God abides on them. Right? I mean, the picture is, is basically God's wrath is hovering over them. And at any moment, that wrath could fall upon them. Right? God could call them into judgment at any moment. And it would be a right and just thing for God to do. If you've ever read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards, he uses imagery along these lines, saying things like that we should picture the unbeliever dangling over the fires of hell by a spiderweb thin cord. And it's, they are dangling there. And at any moment, that web, that cord could break and drop them into eternal damnation. And he would say, not only can that happen at any moment, it certainly will happen at some time. Right? At some moment in the future, that cord will snap and that unbeliever will drop into damnation. And there is nothing in the world can protect against this. Not health, not wealth, not anything. And, and Edwards would say the only reason that they are not, that the that cord has not snapped, they have not dropped into judgment, is because of the gracious mercy of God holding back His wrath for another moment. Right Now for him, what he was doing was, he was telling this to unbelievers. You Say you have a lot of time. You say maybe when you get older you'll get squared away with God. You don't know you have that time. God could at any moment right now call you into judgment. And that would be a just thing for God to do. For us as believers, as disciples in Jesus. We need to see this as a, an, a, a need for urgency. In appealing to people, inviting them, doing what we can to try to get them to come to church to pray. God would spare them and not let the cord snap. God would burden their hearts about their sin. God would bring them to church. Now, the reason we have to keep this on our mind is unbelievers typically feel okay about their lives. All of us know unbelievers that if we were to say, you need Jesus, they would say, why? My life is great. I'm satisfied with me just the way I am. My life is happy. I am fulfilled. I don't see any reason I need that. And a danger for us is to believe as long as they feel they're okay, they are okay. And what this passage reminds us is they aren't okay. 
It may appear they're okay, but it is just an appearance. They are dangling over judgment, already condemned. There's nothing else they need to do to be condemned. They are condemned. And one day that cord will snap and they will drop into judgment. And so we as believers should feel a sense of urgency trying to reach them and invite them and pray for them. Secondly, every unbeliever must be born again. Story of Nicodemus, a man, the Pharisees came to Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus, again we know the story, comes to Jesus to try to get some answers. Jesus gets to the heart of what Nicodemus needs to know first and foremost. You must be born again. right? If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now for Nicodemus, this was a shocking sort of an idea. Nicodemus was raised in a time when just by, they were taught just by virtue of being a Jew, they were a part of the kingdom of God. What, Nicod- what Jesus explains to Nicodemus is, this is not the case. Your being a Jew doesn't mean anything. You must be born again. Now for us, in our day, we don't typically think in terms of the kingdom of God. We think in terms of be saved, maybe go to heaven. Or in light of what we've just talked about, be saved from the wrath to come. So what Jesus would say to us is, no one is saved apart from being born again. Right? No one goes to heaven unless they are born again. The only way to be saved from the wrath to come is to be born again. Now, in light of Nicodemus uh, and what Jesus says here, there are these facts that they are important because they spoke to Nicodemus and they speak to us. Right? We, we see first that being religious isn't enough. Being religious doesn't save. Nicodemus was a very religious guy. He was a Pharisee. Pharisees was an exclusive club. There were only 6,000 Pharisees in the whole world at a given time. To be one, you had to take a pledge in front of at least three uh, Pharisee witnesses to devote your life to observing every detail of the law and the scribal law. They fasted from food twice in a week and food and water Twice a week, every week, they tied the smallest amounts of their income. So Nicodemus was extraordinarily religious. But despite being religious, Jesus said, you must be born again. Now something that is important for us to see in this, is Nicodemus isn't religious in the wrong religion. right? He's not a devout religious follower of Baal. He is not a devout religious follower of Zeus. He's not a devout religious follower of Caesar. He is a devout religious follower of Judaism. The God's God's religion. And yet, he still must be born again. The lesson for us is is clear, I think. Because when we talk to people, And we ask them maybe if they're saved or however we word it. We'll get a variety of answers. Well, I I go to church. I've been baptized. I'm a member of of that church down the street there. I'm a very spiritual person. 
And what they're all saying in their own way is, I'm, I'm religious. I, I have my own way of being religious. The problem with this is being religious doesn't save. Being Going to church doesn't save. Being baptized doesn't save. Being a member of a church doesn't save. Being spiritual doesn't save. Religion isn't enough. You must be born again. Being moral doesn't save. Nicodemus would have been a very moral person. Just as a natural outflow of his being a Pharisee, being devoted. He would have been a good husband. He would have been a good father. He would have been a good neighbor. He would have helped the poor. All of these things he would have done. Nicodemus was the guy that you would have come over and get your mail and put it on your kitchen table. You would have no qualms about giving him a key to your house knowing he would only do exactly what you asked. He would not prowl. He would not steal. He would not do one thing untoward. You would absolutely trust him. He was that kind of a moral person. And again, we know people like Nicodemus. People who love their spouses. And they love their children. And they're good neighbors. And they pay their taxes. And they work hard on their jobs. They, they may even be kind and generous people. But they don't see a need for Jesus. But their morality, while morality is certainly needed in our day. Morality doesn't save. Not only does morality not save, morality doesn't equal salvation. Right? Just because someone is a moral human, that does not guarantee they are a saved disciple of Christ. Right? They must be born again. And then being knowledgeable of Scripture doesn't save. In later verses, verse 10 Jesus will call Nicodemus a religious a teacher of the law. Now, there were big qualifications to being a teacher of the law in those days. Uh, some of what I've read said Pharisees had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Right? Not, not say I can say Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But, but like from in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. But no, that's, that's John. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. From Genesis 1 to the last of Deuteronomy, they had to know every, every word and quote it without error. And that, that's some pretty serious Bible knowledge. And there were like tests you had to take and proofs you had to give before they would let you get up in front of a synagogue and read from Scripture and exhort people with it to make sure you knew what was right. The Pharisees were the Bible scholars of the day, and yet despite all of the knowledge... Nicodemus had of Scripture. Jesus still told him, you must be born again. In a smaller town like Gaiman, you'll find more people who have some Bible knowledge. They may have been raised in a church and gone to Sunday school. Maybe they went to our Christian school at one time. They, they can name the books of the Bible. They know the Ten Commandments. They might be able to list the names of the apostles. They could probably answer some doctrinal questions. Yet that Bible knowledge, while good, Bible knowledge alone doesn't save. You must be born again. But every person, no matter who they are, no matter 
how moral they are, how religious they are, how much scripture they may know, they must be born again. And then the last truth that needs to weigh on our minds is salvation is only found in Jesus. Paul says this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And there is only one way this can happen. And that is through faith in Jesus. Right? Because there, there's only the one God. Right? There's not every path doesn't lead to God. Every God in the world is not a different expression of the one true God based upon the culture we're from. There is just one God. And there's only one path. One mediator, one who reconciles man and God together, and that is Jesus Christ, right? No one else. There is no other path to the one God, but through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. So while this is something, again, we, we know that, we have to remember that when it comes to reaching out to people. Again, it doesn't matter how moral they are. They must believe in Jesus. But they must repent of their sins. They must know Jesus. This is the only path to salvation. People are saved from the wrath to come by being born again through faith in Jesus. People are born again as they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus. Right? We, we aren't calling on people. We're not trying to get people to come in and turn over a new leaf. We're not trying to get people to come over to church and become more moral. We're not trying to make them religious. We're not trying to make them free will Baptist. We're, we're, we're trying to connect them to Jesus. Salvation is only found in Jesus. That is ultimately what matters most. Everything else, whether they're free will Baptist, how they're moral, they're, the other issues, that comes after. We want them ultimately, primarily, to be sure they know Jesus. Because He is the only hope they have. He is the only one who can save them from the flames of judgment. He is the only one who can make them to be born again. He is the only one who can connect them to God the Father. So we want to remember these things. We want to take just a few minutes to pray and ask God to drive these truths home into our hearts, right? Not, again, these aren't new truths. Nothing here is something we haven't heard before. But what we want is for God to stir this in our hearts, to constantly, as we go throughout this these next five and a half weeks leading up to Easter, that God will constantly bring these truths to our mind. That as we look at someone, God will make it clear to us. God will say they are hanging over the fires of hell by a spider web thin cord that could break at any moment and will break. That as we look at someone, God will remind us they must be born again. God will remind us only Jesus can connect them to me. 
Because that's, that's how we reach out to people. That's why we reach out to people. I mean, that's ultimately what it has to be. There are a lot of reasons we can do to try to reach out. We can say, well, I'm going to set a goal. And in the thing, there's three names. And I always give at least three. But just having a goal of reaching out to three people, that's really not compelling to most of us in our lives. Right? To say, well, I'm supposed to reach out to people. That's really not overly compelling to most of us in our lives. Because we all know we're supposed to reach out to people. And yet we probably don't reach out as often as we should. So what is it that will compel us? What is it? It is these sort of truths. God bringing them. God causing us to see people in light of these realities. This is what will compel us to reach out in in compassion, in love. Because we know if they do not repent of their sins, they do not believe in Jesus, that cord will snap. And they will face the sure and severe judgment of God. So we pray, God, give me a deep conviction. All people apart from Jesus are condemned. Help me to see all people apart from you. To see, Lord, them hanging over the flames of judgment. Help me to to be reminded they must be born again and only Jesus saves. So let's take time. Let's pray. Spend just a few minutes praying that and then we'll go on. Father, we come tonight and we... We are thankful for your word that that is clear on things as important as what we've just looked at. God, since your word is clear, let your spirit constantly refresh our minds to these truths, constantly refresh our heart to these truths, but not just bring the truths to our mind in in a general sort of a way, but apply them to people we know. As we go out and we see Lord, our, our friends, our, our relatives, our co-workers and our neighbors. And Lord, some we don't know, some we may think or say, but Lord, there are some in that category. And we know, man, we know they're not saved. So make us to see, see that they're not just not interested in church. Jesus, but they are condemned. Let your spirit remind us they are dangling over the fires of judgment. Burn in our hearts the words of Jude to to snatch people from the flames of judgment. Let our eyes see people like Moody saw them. Lord, we would see souls Precious souls who will spend eternity in hell apart from Jesus. Remind us these people we care about must be born again. They must be born again through faith in Jesus. Make our hearts, make our hearts tender like Jesus' heart was tender. As he drew near to Jerusalem and wept over the lostness of the city that had rejected him, let us Weep over the lostness of Gaiman, over the lostness of our those we know. 
Let that burden, let that ache in our heart, that love for these people compel us to reach out to them. Invite them to church. Invite them to Easter. Let us see them come and surrender their lives to Christ. Glorify yourself in our church by saving the lost and restoring the prodigals. Glorify yourself by healing broken hearts and setting captives free. Glorify yourself by taking those who are dead in their sins and raising them to new life in Christ. Lord, as you do these works, we will give you all the glory and all the praise for you alone deserve them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there are some requests, specific requests to pray for, ways to pray. Uh, And of course, I I like being specific in how to pray rather than being general. So pray for opportunities to invite people to church. Uh, Opportunities may come up in a more of a a natural way. So when they do, take advantage of each and every one of them. Pray for courage to take advantage. And, And we don't often think of it being courageous to share the gospel or invite people to church. But it is. It is because courage is ultimately doing what we know we're supposed to do despite being afraid. The reality, all of us are in some ways afraid to share the gospel and invite others to church or we would do it more often. Fear hinders all of us at various times in this. So we need courage to do what we know to do despite being afraid. Pray about two or three different people that you're going to Put extra effort to invite. I've got some stuff ordered. Um, I'm not even sure what they are. They were free. So I'm all about free stuff. That's why I'm a free will Baptist. So we've got some free stuff that's it's not our church specific, but it's stuff about Easter. I'm going to get I've got I've got a boatload of invite cards from our church. So we'll get those and you can give them to people. And it's I think it's meant to kind of stir their. Here's why Jesus came. Here's why Easter is important. Kind of thing, a colorful, tracked sort of story thing. So take, we'll have those and, and give them out and invite people to church. Pray those we invite will come. As we all know, we will invite people and they will say, absolutely. I was planning on going to church anyway. I'll, I'll go. I'll be there. And they won't come. So pray not just that they'll say they'll come. They'll actually come. Pray those who come will come back. Um, it's often been joked in among pastors, among pastors, that Easter Sunday is the empty tomb, and the Sunday after Easter is the empty pew, right? Because you have 150 in our church on Easter Sunday, and we're back to our normal crowd on the Sunday after. Nobody comes back. It's really hard to get those who. Visit to stay. And so pray those who visit will stay. They will come back. Pray there will be more visitors than members. And wouldn't that be great? There were so many people that just we invited that randomly showed up. That there were more visitors than members. Pray visitors would feel welcomed at our church. Pray believers uh, would arrive Easter with a sense of expectation and excitement. You know, our, our attitude does kind of affect things. If we come in and be like, oh, well, that's, I mean, that, that comes through. 
That comes through in how we talk. It comes through in how we sing. It comes through in how we invite, how we pray. It comes through in all of it. So pray God would purge that from all of us. And we would all come with a sense of excitement and anticipation. Pray unbelievers would arrive with their hearts ready to receive Jesus. I mean, pray that God would already be at work. Making them aware of their need for Jesus. And in whatever way He chooses. Conviction over sin. Brokenness in their life. Something that makes them aware they need Jesus. Pray people would be a presence of be aware of God's presence in our church. That's, that's a big thing. Right? Because there are lots of places in the world where they're singing. There's lots of places in the world where somebody talks to you. So what makes what we do unique? Why come here on Sunday rather than stay home and watch TV? What's different is we is, is God is here. God is tangibly present in our services. I mean, God is everywhere. Pray they would come in and know something is different here. And what's different is God. That they can find something here they can't find at the casino or at the bar or at home watching Desperate Housewives. That there's something different here. Pray that as God's presence is, uh, we're aware of that it would affect us too. That it would cause us to worship passionately. It would cause us to listen to the word attentively and respond obediently. Because I'm going to preach a gospel message, but that doesn't mean we don't have something to respond to. They would see us respond as well. Pray People would have ears to hear and hearts to obey. Pray for the Holy Spirit to to move powerfully in our services. Pray you would guide Scott as he selects the songs and leads the singing, the musicians as they pray, as they play. Pray the Holy Spirit would anoint me as I preach. Pray that he would give me clarity about what to preach. I'm pretty sure the series we're going to start after Easter. But I'm not sure what I'm going to preach for Easter. I've got about three ideas. And I want just want to be sure. So pray God would give me clarity about what to preach. Pray the Holy Spirit would use the word as a light. Spell the darkness in people's minds so they could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Pray the Holy Spirit would use the word like a sword to bring people to a place of deep and genuine repentance. Listen, both of those to me are huge things. People in our culture don't. We're like the days in Isaiah where they don't blush over sin anymore. I mean, for people to feel conviction over sin and be brought to repentance, man, that is a supernatural act of God. We, we can't do that. Just saying something is a sin it just doesn't affect people anymore. It needs to be something more. Pray the Holy Spirit would use the word like a hammer to knock down strongholds. People of a record so that every thought is brought captive. The obedience of Christ. Those we know who don't see a need for church or for Jesus, they have reasons. They can tell you why they don't need Jesus. Those are strongholds. That's what 2 Corinthians 10 calls a stronghold, something that has has lifted itself up against the knowledge of God. It is something they have built up that says, this is why you don't need Jesus. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the knocking down of those strongholds. So pray the word would crush those sort of strongholds and bring their thoughts captive. Pray the Holy Spirit would use the word like a fire to purify all who hear the word. The Holy Spirit would convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. 
Pray for me as I prepare that I would have a, the right passage, a proper understanding, and a clear idea of what God wants said through the passage. Pray for liberty during the invitation for people to respond. Pray marriages and families would be strengthened and restored. Pray for the lost to be saved, the prodigals to be restored, captives to be set free, broken hearts to be healed, the spiritually dead to be raised to new life with Christ. Pray God would work in mighty ways so everyone, believers and unbelievers alike, are changed from glory to glory. Maybe there's people you're going to invite and you know they are specifically in bondage to something, whether alcohol or drugs or sexual addictions or some form of immorality. Pray specifically about that. God would break that off of their lives. All of those sort of things we see people delivered from in Scripture. God can still deliver people from those today. So pray about that. Pray God would plunder hell to populate heaven through our church. And this isn't a prayer, just a consideration. Consider fasting at least one day a week between now and Easter. Fast and pray. You may not be able to fast by not eating. Not everybody can. But there is a way you can do without something in an effort to pray more for the service. Right? Whether one day you say, I'm not going to watch TV. And the times I would watch TV, I'm going to pray for the service or, or something. But there is a way. right? Because it's not just a matter of, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat lunch and then we'll stay at work and work extra. That's not fasting and praying. It's not I'm not going to watch TV and I'm just going to take a nap in that time instead. That's not it. It's not I'm not going to go be on social media, but I'm going to do other things. It's not the point. It's not the doing without is secondary. The doing without is to focus us in prayer in that time. Time I would normally eat, I pray. Time I would normally watch TV, I pray. The time I would normally be on social media, I pray. Find a way. To have at least one day a week where the focus of that day is praying for our Easter service. Because what's going to make the difference on Easter? It's prayer. I mean, it just is. Very few of those that we're going to bring in, very few of them have never heard an Easter sermon before. At this last Easter I can't remember what, or how many people we had in attendance. We had around 100 in attendance. Out of that 100 in attendance, do you know how many first-time visitors we had? Two. Every other person that was here on Easter Sunday had been to our church multiple times before, except two. And those two had heard Easter messages before. So the what's going to make the difference isn't some new thing I'm going to share because I don't have anything new to share. It's not going to be the, the newer music we're going to bring in because the newer music isn't going to change anybody's hearts. It's going to be God working through our prayers because of our prayers. So let's make it a matter of priority prayer between now and Easter. It's like five and a half weeks to Easter. And if just us, not, not even any that come on Sunday morning, just us, we make it a matter of a priority in our prayer. If we work to invite two or three people. I mean, God has done more with less all throughout history. 
But we have to believe He can. We have to believe He will. And then we have to, to do. To do our part. So let's have a time and come to the